Welcome to Horror in Session, Lesson 13. As always, I am your host, Reina Cervantes, and we are a podcast where a horror newbie sits down with a horror expert and a guest to discuss horror movies of from all eras and, you know, all walks of life, essentially. Um, once again, I am your host, Reina Cervantes, and I am here with my lovely co-host, Kayla. Hi, it's so good to be back. <laughs> I know that much-needed break, huh? Yeah, I mean, we were just pumping out episodes, so. I mean, have we said we're going to go to the bi-weekly coming up soon? So it was nice to have a little break, but yeah, we'll have more breaks. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And this week's guest, she's a critic for the Turbine News Service in the Los Angeles Times, as well as a guest host for the Switchblade Sisters podcast. Please welcome to the show, Katie Walsh. Hi, I'm so happy to be here. Hi, yeah. Thank you for agreeing to come on. Yeah, this is really fun. I'm super excited that we get to dive in to our topic this week. Yeah, and um, that reminds me, I do need to say the topic of this episode. But before I do that, we're going to do a quick little new segment, just kind of mix things up a bit. Just kind of ask you guys, what have you been watching this week besides what we're covering? Um, Kayla, you want to go first? Oh, okay. Me first. Uh, <laughs> I just got HBO Max because they finally got the app on the Amazon TV. So I, I've been jumping back into Doctor Who because the new seasons with 13 are actually pretty good. And then other than that, I've been rewatching Dash and Lily because I just think that's the essential. Like, I, I don't know if we're doing movies or shows, but I've been mostly watching shows. So that's my lowdown. <laughs> That's entirely fine. It's just whatever you've been watching that isn't these <laughs> horror movies. Um, how about yourself, Katie? What have you been uh, watching this week? Well, I did a bunch of catch up for sort of like end of year um, best of type movies and stuff that had recently come out. Um, so I did that on Sunday. I watched Sound of Metal. <gasps> amazing. Oh. On Amazon Prime. And um, it was so good. Uh, just really like a very well acted, well told story. Um, and I watched Promising Young Woman on a screener. And um, I've also been watching some films for uh, Switchblade Sisters. So I watched Volver, uh, the Pedro Almodovar film for an episode that's Ooh. coming out, which I had not seen, you know, since um, like 2006 or whenever it came out. And I was just like, oh, it's so good. I had forgotten how great it was. <laughs> and um i also I, I watched half of uh the patrick swayze movie ghost last <laughs> night because i'm doing another podcast about ghost and you know what it's pretty fun it was yeah, like, <laughs> yeah that fun. yeah that movie is super fun um i kind of don't get its bad reputation <laughs> yeah i don't know i mean i i knew I, I had seen it definitely before you know years and years and years ago but um, I was like, this is really entertaining and like well made. <laughs> and Patrick Swayze, uh, R.I.P. We love him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was a very tragic loss when when he passed on. I know, I know, and he's so gorgeous. I love that all the movies that he's in, like he's totally the eye candy, and the woman is like not necessarily the the eye candy at all. <laughs> <laughs> um so me what have i been watching yeah, what have you been watching right now yeah uh i watched a uh, promising young woman on a screener as well wait um, are you guys thumbs upping or thumbs downing promising oh, young woman definite th two thumbs up for me 
yes so i thumbs the thumbed it up too um i really enjoyed it i was really impressed uh as a debut um as a debut feature it just kind of chest kicked to me i was like oh hell Um, it's it's very like it's so bold and she just comes out swinging like i think chest kick is the total right way to put it because it's so unapologetic and just bold and sassy and like carrie mulligan is unbelievable yeah all around a super strong debut um aside from that i revisited uh the resident evil movies this week i finally finished all of those fun just oh super fun probably one of my favorite movie series to be honest just how like batshit insanity fun they are yeah 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 um and i've been revisiting those in anticipation of monster hunter coming out oh my gosh i don't think i'm not going to review monster hunter but it looks so good it looks fun i don't know if it looks so good but it looks fun oh it (laughs) it looks hilariously awesome i'm super on board just as soon as i heard it was like paul ws anderson and mila jovovich again i was like oh i'm on board yeah absolutely um so now that we're we're all caught up on what we've been kind of doing non-horror related this week um Let's just dive right into our first movie. So our first movie this week is The Wicker Man from 1973, directed by Robin Hardy, written by Anthony Schaefer. The film stars Edward Woodward, Britt Eklund, Ingrid Pitt, and Christopher Lee. The film follows a Puritan police sergeant as he arrives in a Scottish island village in search of a missing girl who the locals claim never existed. The film currently sits at an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes and is hailed as a classic to this day. Kayla, what did you think of the Wicker Man or thoughts, overall impressions? I loved the Wicker Man. Oh my gosh. I have never like really heard of this movie. Um, I heard whisperings of it when Midsummer came out, but nothing substantial. Cause I've I've used it, you're saying it's a classic, but I don't hear people talking about the Wicker Man all that much. I've heard you talk about it a couple times, but not not a lot of people talk about it, I don't feel like. But I don't know why, because it was amazing. Um, I, so I'm taking all of, like, I guess people watch Midsummer and think of The Wicker Man, but I was watching The Wicker Man and thinking of Midsummer. Um, but I was surprised about how many uh, similarities um, and traditions there were, because I didn't know how much of, you know, Midsummer or The Wicker Man were, like, inspired by real things and i'd love to deep dive into it or since katie um recommended these movies i don't know if she knows more about all of that stuff in real life but it's 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 really interesting and i just loved the music this is like halfway a musical or something i don't (laughs) what um and and the imagery and it's just it's just a beautiful film and other than that i kind of like the commentary here of you know, I felt like there was some commentary of this, these beliefs and the enforcing of beliefs on other people. And I think it's interesting that this is a movie that was came out in 1973, which is the height of like um, the Vietnam War ending. And there is that, you know, invasion of white people into Vietnam. And I I think there's some interesting ideas there i like how i know we're not there yet but in the wicker man too they kind of go more into that of you know 
the invasion into like female like women um and like enforcing beliefs on maybe like minority people or not minority but people who you know are people what is the world i am thinking of here do you guys know what we're like, like a closed community and like being isolated and and then what does it mean when like someone who's representative of like mainstream culture or law enforcement like comes up against that yes exactly wow you're so well <laughs> you knew exactly what I was trying to say thank you um but yeah and other than that I just love how this movie encapsulates the 70s we were talking about the lost boys last week and how I was like wow wow, wow that movie was really like the 80s mm-hmm. and this movie was really the 70s but yeah I, I'm so glad I got to watch this movie I'm so glad Katie made me watch it because oh. it's so good I'm so glad <laughs> liked it so much it's such a fun one it's like uh, it's just so good. it's such a good movie I just I'm obsessed with it mm-hmm. um yeah so I guess that's that could be our segue into Katie uh what's what's your history with the wicker man um you know i i can't remember the first time i saw it but it was within maybe the past like 15 years or so but the first time i saw it i remember being struck by you know how great it was and then i did actually rewatch it um earlier this year because i did a podcast a switchblade episode with um the directors of blow the man down and they chose that film as their like influential film they wanted to talk about and revisiting it, I just was like, oh, this is so great. And I had never seen the Nick Cage Wicker Man. Um, so that was a real fun one for me to kind of dive into. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I do love that it's a musical, like, like Kayla said. I mean, you probably were probably totally shocked when she starts singing the song, uh, when um, Britt Eklund starts singing her seduction song. <laughs> such a funny moment I mean that's the thing it's like it's it's a funny movie but it's also just you know it's funny because it's goofy 70s whatever but it's also just so so good and every I think all the performances are really great and as much as it is kind of like a goofy 70s movie almost like commenting on hippie culture in a way um that it is just incredibly well made and I'm always struck by sort of the cheekiness of the movie and like Robin Hardy's direction. And there's like a mischievous quality to it. And then I'm also really struck by uh, Edward Woodward's performance as Sergeant Howie. And he is so committed to this role as this like incredibly repressed man. Um, but I, I like that they, I think the about folk horror. So like I had noticed that you liked Midsommar. So I was like, oh, let's do more folk horror films, um, which I, you know, I love folk horror, but I, I'm not like an expert in folk horror at all. But um, I love that. I think the best ones, and I think Midsommar does this and, and the Wicker Man does this is the ones where like, you know, uh, modern life clashes with this like sort of older way of life, this ancient traditional way of life. And so I think he, the, the Sergeant Howie character is just, such a perfect example of like British stiff upper crust, you know, upper lip, like um, law enforcement kind of uh, Christian. <laughs> I mean, he's a virgin. It's like, what the hell? This guy is. 
And also, like, how old is he? Like, he looks older. You know, he's like, I'm saving myself for marriage. And you're like, um, I think you're like in your late 40s. <laughs> um, maybe they aged aged more in the 70s. But um, but that clash of, of modern and um, ancient or a closed community, I think, is is a really good way to show folk horror. Um, and I think Midsommar does that really well, too. And I think that Ari Aster was, like, directly pulling from Wicker Man, for sure. Mm-hmm. I could see that. I always kind of like almost viewed it as like a modern like Viking tale because you mm-hmm. hear about like the history of Vikings and how when they first arrived in England, like they had yeah. their like pagan and Norse beliefs and like the the ones living in England were, were all Christians. And it was like this clash of ideas and outsiders being in like different spaces. Um, I felt Wicker Man, especially the original, conveys that feeling very well almost in a modern context. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this, definitely. Um, this movie, though, it, it really stands out to me even to this day because, like, the whole movie just generally carries this, like, uncomfortable feeling. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it's also because it's insanely British and I'm American. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Um, but, yeah, I... I I can't even find the words to say. I don't know. I think he, I think there is, like I said before, like there's a mischievousness to it and a playfulness, Mm -hmm. like the part where he tries, it's sort of towards the end. It's right before the the parade of of people um, Mm -hmm. and they're all in the costumes and he goes back to the town after he tries to start the plane and there's just all these funny little shots of the guy in the costume, like hiding from him. Like, yeah, street where he's like looks down an alley and the guy like scampers away, and I just think the whole vibe is like the whole town is playing a trick on him, and they've lured mm-hmm. him there, and they're basically toying with him. And I do think they're like the the filmmaking, like some of the low angles and the editing and all of these things, like are kind of contributing to the sense of like I don't know what's going on. There's mischief and trickery about, and it's kind of playful, but also like then it turns so dark at the end and mm-hmm. um like i find the the final shot of the movie to just be so deeply disturbing and dark and it's not even really a horror movie so much in that there's like a lot of gore or anything but it does end on a really dark note <laughs> it's, it's it's one of those like horror movies like midsummer like like I, I know we keep comparing it, but they're very closely like tied together, I believe. Um, it's one of those rare horror movies, like almost set entirely in the daylight. Yeah, yeah, that's mm-hmm. true. Like, like nothing is hidden. And I think in a way that kind of makes it a little bit more terrifying. Yeah. And those, oh my gosh, those sunset shots at the end. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, so I'm going to say it right now before anyone beats me to it, but living through 2020 feels like being inside of a wicker man. <laughs> oh my gosh. Back in here with a bunch of livestock and the fire is getting closer and closer. <laughs> um, Speaking back on that ending though, just the fact that like right before like he like succumbs to his fate, he like drops down to his knees and like starts like praying. It's um, just once again conveys the whole like christian versus like pagan themes of this movie 
Um, yeah, yeah. It's almost like it almost feels like a Joan of Arc thing or something. Like he <clears throat> believes that. I mean, he's in this utterly terrifying situation, and I think he really conveys that. Like, I think Edward Woodward gives a really amazing performance despite the mm-hmm. character being like really goofy. Um, but by the end, I was like, he's doing Shakespeare practically, like just in his performance. <laughs> yeah. Um, he ends up beca- becoming like a martyr type, yeah, like, and, like and being. What he's like holding on to, I think, is like, oh my gosh, if I'm going to die on this island in this burning you know, structure and being sacrificed to these gods for the harvest or whatever, like, he, I, I think he, the only thing he can hold on to is his faith and his his belief that he's like going to heaven or will be salvation, you know. So, mm-hmm. it, but he he really sells it. I think he's really good in this movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I think the entire cast is good. And I mean, did you really think we were gonna get past this movie without like mentioning the Hammer Horror like royalty that's in this movie? Absolutely, we have to touch on them. Uh, yeah. So, um. <laughs> Kayla, I know you haven't really seen any Hammer Horror, but they were like essentially the Universal Studios of like England. They did like all the British versions of like Dracula and Frankenstein and all that. And I understand that Katie is a huge fan of Hammer Horror as well. I love Hammer Horror and um like Ingrid Pitt plays the librarian and I know Raina and I like are obsessed with Ingrid. Um, oh she's great <laughs> she's in the vampire lovers which is like a great lesbian vampire film Hammer <gasps> horror lesbian vampire film wow. that was my other suggestion i was like okay we're either doing folk horror or we're doing vampire lovers <laughs> um, oh ah that would have been great I too <laughs> come back save that one for me. Um, I'll, I'll save it for you you know what yeah that one's for sure you if someone else really wants to do it i'll let i'll let them have it but um but I would be happy to do that. But um, and then Christopher Lee, who always played Dracula, um, and also he was in Lord of the Rings as Saruman, as many people know. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, he actually like actively wanted to get away from doing like Dracula type roles, um, and so that's why he decided to make this film and like actively sort of pursued. So it's based on a novel, and then I think he sort of like actively pursued like developing it um, and making it as a as sort of a modern, more modern um, piece for him to do. Um, so he was really involved in the making of it. Mm-hmm. Wow! Yeah, he he's he's great in it too. Like I love his like crazy hair and his like over the top performance. <laughs> yeah, he's he's amazing, and he's the funny thing to me is like at the end he's kind of wearing like some weird and you're like what are those shoes he's wearing (laughs) um and then like my favorite thing though is when he uh, they're in the sort of procession and he says to uh sergeant howie who's in like the full costume he's like cut a jig man or something like he's like all that dancing like paper man (laughs) it's like he just has so many great lines and line readings in it and and I do uh, love Ingrid Pitt as well. And like the way that the women kind of get involved at the end, like Miss um, Rose is played by Diane Salento, who's actually married to John Connery. And Oh, yes, okay. I did not know that. Yes. 
Um, and just like the way that they are all kind of, um, like I was noticing that they, you know, he's in charge of Summer Isle, but then he's got these women who are kind of his like right-hand women or um, helpers or whatever. And then in Midsommar, like that's a really matriarchal society. Like the leader of that society is that woman. Um, I don't remember her name. I don't know if we she, we get a name for her at all, but she's kind of the one who's like, you know, opening the the um, ceremony of, of Midsommar celebration. Mm-hmm. So it's a very like full gender type of thing in both of the films. Wow. Um, (laughs) That kind of blew my mind just now. Sorry, I'm reeling from that. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, I was like, like, is this movie pro-women or not? There was a lot of nudity. I was like... um, Well, that's just British horror in general. (laughs) A lot of boobs. We love boobs. We love some boobs. Very very sleaze in the 70s. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah, it's funny because it's like, well, why why do they have to have so many boobs in it? It's like, well, it's just it's almost like exploitation films. Like they're just trying to, you know, get mm-hmm. sell tickets to <laughs> to people who want to see some titillation. But um, <laughs> another fun fact though about Britt Eklund's song and her performance where she's uh, singing through the wall at Sergeant Howie. Um, and sort of beckoning him to come like make sweet love to her is uh, so the bottom half is a body double. So anytime you see her like kind of swinging her butt in front of the wall, that's a, that's a body double. So, (laughs) so fun fact about the behind the scenes of that wicker man. (laughs) That's great. Interesting. Kayla, um, before we move on, got any final say on Wicker Man? You approve of this movie? Disapprove? Love it? Hate it? No, yeah, I really love this movie. Um, is it? Do people know this movie, or am I just crazy? Because I I don't hear people talking about it. So I think it exists in like a like in the horror community. This movie is very well known, mm-hmm. but but I'm also like very in tune with the horror community. Um, so I would not know, to be honest, I feel like not enough people know about this movie in particular. Yeah. I, I think, agree. I think it's kind of a cult classic at this point in time. I think, I feel like it was kind of popular when it came out in the seventies. Um, there was actually the soundtrack was really like popular. So the, there was like a record that went along with it so the song that opens it which is like corn rigs and barley rigs apparently was a hit what now i need the vinyl the vinyl was like really popular and i think it kind of set off like a a folk um like a modern folk um type of trend at least that's what wikipedia said when i was looking it up uh months ago Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, so I think it was kind of like more well known in the '70s, and now it's like a little bit of a cult hit. But um, like I, yeah, like I, I would agree that like horror fans uh, like it a lot, which is interesting because it's not really there's not a lot of blood and gore in it, mm-hmm. but it has that thread yeah. and like that sense of otherworldliness in a way. Yeah. So I I know both of you haven't seen this, but if you love this movie, you both should really watch Apostle. 
I know. I wanted to watch it because um, I know you've recommended it to me, Reina, and I was I was watching something and it was referenced, and I was like, oh, this looks so good. Yeah, it's it's super good. Also, you get your blood and gore in that one. All right, all right. <laughs> I know. <laughs> watching the trailer, I was like, this is rough. Like some oh. torture stuff going on crazy how he went from doing like martial arts movies to like randomly making that no i know that's the legion but, uh, guy yeah yes dan stevens is yeah. uh the lead in apostle and also, michael, sheen, michael sheen is in it really mm-hmm. yeah yeah good movie i i love it it's on it's on my netflix watch list okay perfecto um what was I going to say? Also, before we move on, Kayla, we made it through a Christopher Lee movie without you mentioning Star Wars once. I'm very proud of you. Wait, whomst? So Christopher <laughs> Lee in the in the Wicker Man plays Count Dooku in the Star Wars prequels. Christopher Lee. Uh, oh, wait. What is he playing this? Am I missing He's, he's, he's um... What's what's his name in this movie? I can't remember. Let me look at it. Lord Summer Isle. He he is. That does not. Well, how would I have known that? He does not <laughs> look anything like he does now, does he? Oh my gosh. Unfortunately, he is no longer of this earth. So. Well, he doesn't look anything like he did in Star Wars. Well, I mean, obviously, Star Wars was made many years later. <laughs> um, That's crazy. Hey, Laura, are, are you a Lord of the Rings fan? I have never seen Lord of the Rings. <gasps> you gotta see it. I you want to it. watch it. <laughs> He's also one of the like bad guys in Lord of the Rings. So oh, okay. Gandalf yeah. is like the good wizard. And then he plays Saruman, who's like in charge of the Eye of Sauron or something. I love those movies, but um, I don't really know the mythology of Lord of the Rings. But he plays, you know, he has like long white hair and like a staff and like a white robe. So he definitely looks different than the charming hippie that he is. And um, right. And, and 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 I know we talked about Christopher Lee playing Dracula and his entire character in Star Wars is a reference to that. He's a count. He wears a long black cape. And his name is Count Dooku. <laughs> yeah. Uh- Wow, I had no idea all this Christopher Lee stuff, but I also have not watched. I've watched the prequels like twice, so don't well, bully me. He was in a I'm bunch not. of movies. Um, he's like got like one of the longest. Uh, wow, resumes, right? Mm-hmm. He yeah, he you... made like a Hammer horror movie like every week. Like <laughs> pretty much, I own like all the Hammer Dracula movies, and I want to say right off the top of my head, there's like nine, and they were all made like one after another. Someone tweeting the other day not to like get off on hammer too much but someone was tweeting like why are why are all the hammer horror movies lit like you know shea stadium mets game like basically saying like there's flooded (laughs) with light and i'm like listen so they could just they don't have to change the lights they're just doing setup after setup and like churning and burning these movies (laughs) they're like yeah pretty pretty much the same costume Like, like I think people forget that, like, uh, Horror of Dracula, even though it's got, like, four different settings, it uses, like, one set. Right, absolutely. They just redressed it over and over and over. Those movies were made on the cheap. Totally, totally. They've, I can't even imagine how fast they made them. <laughs> oh, too fast. <laughs> um. Okay, so let's just have that be our segue into 
movies that seem like they were put together haphazardly. Uh, let's continue on with our second film this week. The Wicker Man remake from 2008, written and directed by Neil LeBoot, starring Nicolas Cage and Ellen Burstyn. The film follows a sheriff played by Cage as he investigates the disappearance of a young girl from a small island and discovers there's a larger mystery to solve among the island's secretive neo-pagan community. Made on a budget of about $40 million, the film only grossed about $38 million and was destroyed by critics as it currently sits at a 15% on Rotten Tomatoes. Despite this, the film seems to have found a cult following today. Uh, I want Kayla to kick this one off. Oh gosh, this is another The Phantom of the Opera remake where I'm like, no, I don't want to watch this. Um, one thing I will say though, is that when I, when I, after I watched the original Wicker Man, I was like, actually Nick, Nicholas Cage as whatever his name is, that makes so much sense. I don't know how the casting process went, but I hope the casting director or the director in general was just like, we have to have Nicholas Cage. Cause that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, this movie was not good. But I, I think the worst the worst part about it is that they don't have the accents. I think this movie w- could have been salvageable if they had the accents. That I, I don't know why, but it's it's a it's a set in Washington. What? 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 Like what do you? You can still have accents and be set in Washington. I, I do agree though that like it it doesn't like when I don't know it it doesn't feel like a different place. Yeah, mm-hmm. it feels it feels like a fake plate. You know when they you go to some place and they're doing it's like it's like Knott's Berry Farm or something. They're like <laughs> they're like acting like they're they're like from the past, but they're not. That's like what it feels like. Like a um, something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so weird. Other than that, I do like the whole. I did enjoy the whole turning it into this. Um, female community and how they mentioned you know the Salem witch trials because I thought in the you know when I watched the original that this was a really interesting commentary on like you know people invading oppressed people's um rituals and saying this is wrong when you know not how do you know if it's wrong or not like just because it's different you know um so I did enjoy that swap and I I think it made makes the film more interesting but other than that the writing is so weird um when she he finds out that it's his daughter it was one of those saw moments where they're just like yeah and then that was that was that was his daughter but like it doesn't make sense but we were just like yeah we just let's go with it (laughs) (laughs) well that's my review (laughs) the main actress i don't even know what her name is the one who plays willow she's really bad (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah really bad every time she was talking i was like not following what she was i was like zoning out <laughs> so so fun fact about that winona writer was offered <gasps> that part but turned it down because she said the script was quote shit she was right oh my god <laughs> um, <And> winona <laughs> so 
for full context, all the movies this week were recommended by Katie, except this one was recommended by. Oh, me. is it really? It would have been recommended by you. This is one of like this was when I watched. This is on par with when I watched the Dracula remake and the Phantom of the Opera remake, where I'm just like, this is this is interesting. <laughs> so 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 katie i'm i'm to understand you didn't see this movie until this week either correct? yeah i watched it last night um you know i'd always heard about it and i i knew about you know the famous clips where he's like the bees not the bees which <laughs> i had i accidentally rented the um the regular cut and the that scene where they put the helmet on him with the bees flying into it is in the extended cut. So I was like, oh, I didn't see the scene with the bees. Um, and so I went on YouTube and was like YouTubing it. But um, uh, so <laughs> it was a delight. I mean, I just laughed and howled my way through this movie. I mean, I did think the writing was very bad. Um, and the main actress who plays Willow was very bad, but I love Ellen Burstyn and I love <laughs> Nicolas Cage and his line deliveries are just a hoot. So like when he's got the doll and he's like, who burned it? How did this get burned? How did this get burned? <laughs> like he's just at an 11 constantly, um, you know, running around this Island. And then when he got the bike, I was like, where did he get this bike from? And then <laughs> turns into a whole thing where he like steals the bike from that woman he like pulls a gun on her like, step away from the bike <laughs> so many inexplicable things and choices and reactions and oh it's just i mean i just was like laughing hysterically the entire time but that's the sort of thing that i that that delights me so I enjoyed it. I, I did think it was, you know, interesting that, that Neil Labute, like, um, that he, he's sort of, I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's sort of known for being kind of like a misogynist sort of. No way. Yeah. He's got an interesting background to say the least. So like for him to be like, Hmm, let's remake this film, but like, let's make all of the women be evil. And they and like you know it actually turns out being you know I think it kind of backfires on him yeah watching the film you're like actually this island looks cool and I want to move there like you know like it it, he seemed like Nicolas Cage's character seems like kind of the bad guy um Mm -hmm. so I think it backfires a little bit on Labute but I'm sort of like well this is hilarious that he'd be like what twist can I offer this beloved uh, horror film? <laughs> oh, I'll just make it so that like women be crazy and like, and are like going to bars in LA and picking up, you know, James Franco and Jason Ritter at the end. <laughs> and, uh, oh, and, wow. you know, entrapping them <laughs> to come to their Island. It's, so like it was also odd that they decided to remake the wicker man and have it focused on women but also have zero nudity and make it pg-13 yeah 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 yeah. like i don't really know what the thought process behind that was (laughs) um i i know because you would think that they would be trying to be a little bit more exploitation-y i was just gonna say i wonder if this is the movie that killed lily sobieski's career Ooh. <laughs> i'm looking at her imdb to see if she's done anything worthwhile after it i don't know 
Yeah, this might have been the the nail in the coffin. She was she was like hot stuff uh, before this. Mm. Oh, Lily Kobieski. Let me see. Who is yeah, that? she played si- she played sister Honey in this. She's one. like the um the kind of blonde girl who um I can't remember when he first encounters her, but at the end of the film when they go to the bar. Um, she's the blonde girl that's with uh, the Willow character. I was like, is that Evan Rachel Wood? They kind of look like. Oh. <laughs> so, so it seems to me that the biggest thing she's done since has been, it looks like public enemies. Yeah. Like in 2009. Oh, Neil, we blame Oof. you for killing Lily Sobieski's career. <laughs> Yeah, and and then here's the inverse. Here's the inverse. This is where I feel Nicolas Cage really leaned into the over the top. I'm going to do zany movies from now on. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I feel like this movie was the turning point because right after this, a couple years later, he did Bad Lieutenant. Mm. And I feel like just from then on, it just led to like stuff like Mandy and Color Out of Space. Just... Nicolas Cage as an over-the-top camp actor. Yeah, I've been I was actually gonna look into see like what his next like crazy movie he did after this. Um, because he was, you know, like he did a bunch of, you know, beloved movies in the 80s and early 90s. I mean, he's pretty wacky in face off, but <laughs> like after yeah. Wicker Man, he just was like, I'm just gonna be Mr. Mr. Camp. <laughs> yeah, and I actually kind of want to bring up his filmography and look, because as far as I remember, he was like almost like an awards actor, like before he, he did like leaving Las Vegas. He won an Oscar for leaving Las Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. So right after Wicker Man, he did Ghost well, Rider <laughs> and then National Treasure. <laughs> oh gosh. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, he's having fun. <laughs> yes. It was the Wicker Man because it said right before Wicker Man, the movies he did before were like Lord of War and World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, those were more awards, right. awardsy type movies. Yeah, so I, it's literally Wicker Man was the pivot. Like the one two punch of Wicker Man and Ghost Rider was like, oh, can't do normal movies no. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Can um, we talk about the part what? where he starts just running around and assaulting kids and women? <laughs> <laughs> I was literally going to bring that up in the bear suit. <laughs> Um. he literally just starts running around the island just punching everybody out (laughs) like like what like i i had rented this movie when it first came out from hollywood video (laughs) of uh, course you did (laughs) yeah that's like uh, a nicholas cage thing i don't know why i just associate nicholas cage with my youth uh, in like the 2000s he was in like a lot a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> um but i remember renting this from hollywood video and just going home and popping it on and it just got to that part and i was just like what the hell is this and he just like or where he screams at the top of his lungs like killing me won't bring back your honey <laughs> <laughs> oh my god so, reina have like, you seen um the 73 wicker man before you saw this so confession this was the first Wicker Man I saw. <laughs> so were you like, uh, when you saw the, what was your feeling when you saw the original? 
So when I saw the original one, I was like, well, this ain't the same movie at all. <laughs> I'm like, it's called The Wicker Man. It's got some of the iconic imagery of The Wicker Man, but this is a totally different movie. <laughs> um, yeah, because they I had actually... the same dialogue, like like straight from the original. Yeah. Did you notice that? So, yeah. So what I was going to say is like supposedly like 80% of the dialogue is ripped straight yeah. from the original. <gasps> it's an entirely different film like the context of it is like so vastly different Mm -hmm. um and yeah whereas like i felt like the original just like had a lot to say about like religions fighting each other or like outsiders or sexuality i feel like this one just had nothing to say at all it was like women are scary that's what we feel but um i have to wonder like what direction was given to Nicolas Cage for his performance. Like, or if he just was like, you know what? I'm going to keep it at a solid 11 the whole time. <laughs> so, so if I remember correctly, he actually defends this movie and he's like, oh, me and Neil made an absurdist black comedy that nobody got. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's interesting you guys say that this one had nothing to say i thought i thought this movie was trying to be like a feminist take on it or something and that um it was it was like the hetero male um invasion into to telling women what to do because there's that part where it was like oh the men are the breeders and i was like haha that's funny because i've you know in the past like i felt like male treat um men treat women as breeders i guess and then Mm -hmm. um in the part like in the end where you know the women kind of take advantage of of the men and like you know take them back to their commune or whatever and like like a whole play on how like men take advantage of women at the bar Mm -hmm. so that's interesting for me to find out that like neil is a misogynist and here i'm thinking i'm like oh wow that's interesting and then i'm like oh maybe it's not so interesting maybe i'm just overthinking it no no no. I think I think you're you're doing exactly the right thing which is that you know there's the intent of like what a film is trying to say and then there's what you can take from it and Mm -hmm. I think that you know there's the the thing that the person creates and then there's the person watching it and the meaning that you derive from it or or build out from it is completely separate from whatever Neil LeBute wants to say. So I think it's totally possible to take a feminist reading from this because I don't think he's made a successful film. So like, I think that you getting a feminist reading from this is totally valid. And I just don't know if that's what he was trying to say as the screenwriter and director. Um, but I think that like whatever meaning you derive from it is valid. And, um, you know, I think that happens with all types of films where people read different things into the story and like find meaning from the story without having to like be completely in line with like what was the intent. And I'm not even sure what the intent was. I just am sort of reading onto it because of who Neil LeBute is. But, yeah. um, you know, I do think it's interesting. Like, I don't think he, I think, I think what he's trying to say is like, wow, look at these, like this colony of women and they're like sacrificing men. And they're, I think you kind of get the scary aspect of it at the end when you see them going out and kind of being like predators at the bar um, to mm-hmm. kill men and sort of trap them to come back to um, 
you know, they're, they're obviously the intent at the end is like, okay, I'll get, you know, pregnant by James Franco, who's this like young police academy cop. And then at a certain point, I'll send him a letter and say, our daughter is missing. And then they'll come back and he'll put him in the wicker man again. And, um, but, uh, so I think he's trying to say like women are scary, but I think that, you know, as a woman, we can look at it and be like, oh, women are powerful. <laughs> and, yeah. And so anyway. I, I just read such a weird, weird okay. tidbit um, on this movie. Um, so the director's cut, the unrated version that has the uh-huh. B scene uh, does not have the six months later scene oh, at the end. Yeah. Wait, so did you guys not see the six months later scene or did you? So I did. I rented it this week, but I rented the rented the PG-13 Same. version. So so I didn't get the B scene. And I was like, oh, like I was like, Katie, I was like, is that in the director's cut? So I went back to YouTube, obviously, and watched <laughs> it. But then I'm like looking up the differences. And yeah, that director's cut does does not have the six months later. Scene. Because I think that's one of the like most telling things about the film. Mm hmm. I wonder if it was like just I wonder if that was like low key a studio decision. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Like, hey, cut this oh, out. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Like like yeah, we'll release the theatrical version, but you're doing like a new cut on home video. Maybe snap right, this right. part. Put the put the leg breaking and the bee torture in, but <laughs> Yeah. But but cut out kind of the most interesting aspect of the entire right, movie. exactly. <laughs> because like like yeah, it's kind of a bad scene, but I do think out of like everything this movie has, it's like the one that like I can like linger and think on for a yeah. little bit. Like yeah, huh. yeah, exactly. Okay. James Franco but, though, that was yeah. so random. I was not expecting that. At yeah. All. <laughs> yeah, he was like he was like still small time when this happened. Was he? Well, kind of, not really. Spider Man, that was right? it. Mm, I don't know. That's I, I say Spider Man like it's like some tiny indie movie, right? And well, he he was on Freaks and Geeks, or was that not appreciated back then? Oh, that was not popular back in the day. Never mind. That <laughs> that did not get popular. I would say until like maybe like three to four years ago when it hit okay. Netflix. Never mind, but. It was yeah. people appreciated it, but it was like not. Um, it was not like a mainstream popular show. Mm. It was only on for mm-hmm. one season. It, that sucks. It it was it was quite literally ahead of yeah, its time. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, anybody got any final words on Nicolas Cage's uh, take on the Wicker Just, Man? <laughs> I I like want to watch it again right away. <laughs> <laughs> it's 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 terrible but great like i want to double feature it with like mandy or bad lieutenant or any other of his zany movies that would be a great uh double bell yeah or even like drive angry (laughs) like like shout out i love that movie he's just like such a he just i don't know he just goes for it i'm really excited for his upcoming movies yeah, what's he, he, even, what's he even got on the in the pipeline? Jiu Jitsu coming out, which involves mm-hmm. aliens <laughs> and Jiu Jitsu. Um, and you guys have to watch the trailer; it looks so cuckoo crazy. And um, he also has a movie called like Wally's Wonderland, which I don't know if there's a trailer out for that yet, but it's like 
I heard about that janitor one. Janitor yeah. in some theme park where like the animals come to life or something. I don't know. I have no <laughs> idea what the tone of that one will be. Um, but I highly recommend the jujitsu trailer as soon as this recording is over. <laughs> I I will a thousand percent look that out because that sounds like, yeah, like my jam. Your jam for sure. So, oh my gosh, um, on his IMDb, the opening clip is The Wicker Man. Nick <laughs> <laughs> Cage is like, make this my representative clip. <laughs> uh, to, to be fair, when I was in high school, like people used to make YouTube compilations all the time with the Not the Bees scene. Yeah. So I could totally see that as somebody going like, who's Nicolas Cage? And then you show them that part and it's like, oh, that guy. Um, So before we move on to our final film, which I feel like we'll have the most to say about, Kayla, did you want to read a word from our sponsor? Yes. Um, Folks, do you love movies? The good ones, even the bad ones everyone told you not to like. Sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies so much that they have dedicated every waking moment of their life to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts advocating for the immediate production of a third national treasure, aha, Nicolas Cage, (laughs) to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for all those in support of making Judy Gurr America's lead. They even offer top quality enamel pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you wearable love letters to the movies and filmmakers you love. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships using compostable polymerators for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code SUPERFRIEND, all caps, no spaces at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. That's S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I. Let's watch more movies. Yay. Yeah, thank you once again to Super Yaki for sponsoring us and keeping us on the air. So let's just dive right into our third movie because I know we've all been itching to talk uh, about this one. This is this will be interesting. The final- <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So the the last one we're covering this week is Midsummer from 2019, written and directed by Ari Aster, starring Florence Pugh, Jack Rayner, William Jackson Harper, and Will Porter. As a couple travels to Eastern Europe to visit a rural hometown's fabled Swedish Midsummer Festival, what begins as an idyllic retreat quickly devolves into an increasingly violent and bizarre competition at the hands of a pagan cult. Made on a budget of only $9 million, the film went on to gross $47.9 million at the box office and currently sits at an 83% on Rotten Tomatoes. Kayla, Kayla, this this is your favorite movie of all time, no? Yeah, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> so, uh, I don't know. Huh? It's a good choice. Oh, thank you. Oh, my gosh. Um, it's, it's hard for me to talk about this one i mean the first time i watched this movie i I, i'll say though like i watched it you know immediately when it came out because i was a big hereditary fan too because that's one of my all-time favorite movies as well um so i went into this thinking it's gonna be like hereditary you know somewhat like it at least but you know this is nothing like hereditary so i feel like a lot of people got 
bad impressions of this movie, thinking that it was going to be something it wasn't. I think it's so much better the, the second time, especially if you have seen Hereditary. Um, so I walked out of this movie going like, that was kind of boring. Uh, <laughs> so a little tidbit about me, even though I'm the biggest Midsummer fan, that was my first experience with it. But then watching it again, I, I this movie is just so masterfully made everything just works into each other it's so beautiful um the music the imagery i just can't rave enough about this film and then this one hit close to home for me because i this movie came out in may of 2019 i had broken up with my boyfriend in january of 2019 and Unfortunately, my ex-boyfriend was just like Christian. (laughs) So this movie hurt to watch in theaters that when it came out, like I would be sobbing watching this movie because it would trigger feelings um, that I had in the past, Um, especially watching the director's cut. I don't know if you guys have seen the director's cut, but there's more of that relationship and like the stuff that, Christian does is just so similar to some things that happened to me in the past so it's it was yeah it's it's a movie that I hold close to me because especially during that time it was hard for me to get out of that relationship and I felt so empowered afterwards and so to have this film and have you know the ending be what it is um I felt even more empowered watching it and I I hold it very close to me for that reason um it just reminds me of like who I am and what I can do um in my romantic life uh because this that was that was the second um toxic relationship I had been in actually and I've only been in two um but there has been other like there's been other readings of it uh because the director's in or Ari Aster's intent um he has said some things about her like um going being manipulated into a cult which yeah that that's what happens um so it's been hard too because uh some people have taken that and ran with it and been like you guys are taking this film out of interpretation this is not what he means by good for like this is not a good for her film like at the end like she's actually being manipulated into a cult and like yes but also like I'm not you and everybody like it would be boring if people just couldn't read a film for how they you know how they experience it and I have a different experience with this film and it has helped me through a lot so I don't know why we have to like scream at each other for it but yeah that was a big thing on Twitter last year so it was kind of it was it was triggering for me at, at points um because I do really hold this film close to my heart um, so I, I would just avoid the um, discourse around it a lot because it was just hard for me. Like, I just love this film. And I don't think it has to be that kind of issue. Like, I don't know why we have to police how people interpret films. But yeah, that's my ex- long explanation. I'm so sorry. But no, yeah. That, that's, <laughs> I mean, I love that. It's kind of like what I was saying before. Like, you, like you can take whatever you get from a film and it's going to be personal for every person and and um 
whatever you take from it is like yours to keep. And it doesn't have to be, it's not going to be the same as someone else's interpretation. And it's you, it's only yours and yours alone because watching movies is subjective. And so is making movies. Mm -hmm. And I think also like this film is open, like it, it's open enough to interpretation, I think. Yeah. And I mean, even in the quote, I've had somebody like literally reply to my tweets that about me liking Midsummer and be like, look at didn't you read what Ari Aster said and like send me a screenshot and I'm like yeah it literally says it's suggesting it's a suggestion <laughs> um so I don't know why you're replying to my tweets so aggressively like this uh, but yeah but actually yeah. I've, I've heard that Ari Aster wrote this in the wake of a breakup of right so mm-hmm. I think all the relationship stuff is so real and so you know it's watching it again it, it, I was like uh like this they're the worst together <laughs> is the worst and you just get the sense of her constantly looking to him for some kind of validation and him never ever giving it to her and mm-hmm. it's painful to see over and over again mm-hmm. it, it really is and I think he gets that it's just I I've never seen it so well brought to screen a relationship like that, like so subtle, because it's not it's not necessarily an abusive relationship. There's so many abusive relationships on screen, but there's also this subtle like toxicity that I think is so important um, to bring to screen because this happens so often, especially in young relationships today, especially with social media and like phones and stuff like that. So I'm. I'm glad that he was able to portray it so accurately. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Katie, uh, what's 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 your history with Midsummer? Um, well, I saw it. Uh, I saw it to review the first time. I was a huge fan of Hereditary, and I saw it like three times in the theater. Um, and I just mm-hmm. think Ari Aster, I'm blown away by him. Um, mm-hmm. And I loved Midsommar. And I loved that it was so different from Hereditary. You know, Hereditary is dark. It's A lot of it takes place at night. It's enclosed. And this is like out in the open. And it's bright and beautiful and sunny. And, you know, I was just completely taken with it. And then I rewatched it, you know, to kind of talk about folk horror as like a subgenre of horror. And it was so interesting watching it right after Wicker Man and seeing how much of it both takes from Wicker Man and is clearly influenced by that film, but also um, diverges from it. I mean, you don't know for a while, like that this is a bad place, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So there, even throughout, you're kind of like, is is this like a scary cult? And, you know, in, in uh, Wicker Man, like they're instantly hostile to him, and they're like, "What are you doing here? You're not allowed to be here." And in this one, they're clearly sort of like, you know, they want Pele to have brought them these people um, as you know to add to their community. But um, uh, yeah, and I, but I think it's interesting to to have uh, the outsider be this girl, uh, Danny, played by Florence Pugh, like to be her and she's going through this, she's not a cop. She's not a detective. She's not, you know, this like Nicolas Cage type guy. She's grieving. And I think, um, and she's, I think in the process of grieving her relationship, which I think she knows is ending. 
Um, but she's like not willing to let it go just yet. And I, I think using her as the main character as the entry point into this cult, like it makes it so much more emotional. Um, especially mm-hmm. like the death stuff is becomes way more, you know, she's clearly getting triggered by all of it. Um, but I just love this film. I also, yeah, I love the construction of it. I'm actually shocked, Reina, that you said it was made for $9 million because I look at it and I'm like, it seems like such a huge undertaking and a huge production to like build all those sets and the long camera movements and mm-hmm. um, just all, like the world that he creates is so immersive. Y- yeah, for for some reason it was actually cheaper than hereditary no way he made it so fast after hereditary too they just got to work on it they pumped that out yeah um yeah i think he had this script uh, in the chamber ready to go um because i had actually got my hands on the script in 2018 yeah so i of course what one does when they get their hands on a script is they read (laughs) through it in one sitting um so I kind of knew what to expect going in. I mean, obviously some stuff is different. Obviously some stuff doesn't get shot, but um, this movie low key like blew me away. And I have like the funniest story, like watching it for the first time. Um, at the time I was a manager over at AMC theaters out in Phoenix and uh, a bunch of the people there, they like loved hereditary. And uh, so we did we double featured it back to back yeah like a day before it came out because the content unlocked so we were going to watch it to test the footage so we double featured hereditary and midsummer back to back let me tell you that was one of the most exhausting nights of my entire life i know his films are so draining (laughs) oh i remember like walking out at like i think like 3 a.m in the morning out into the lobby and i was like oh man was that even worth like staying up and staying (laughs) here to watch (laughs) but uh overall i loved it um i i like how everyone does the wicker man thing because initially when i first watched this i walked out going like oh that movie was a lot like texas chainsaw Mm, massacre it was like if ingmar bergman had directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Really? That's one of his inspirations. He talks about Bergman a lot. Yeah. Yeah, which obviously this movie is a thousand percent Bergman shots and influence. Um, But just the fact that, once again, outsiders coming in, kind of getting into areas where they don't belong, like in Texas Chainsaw Mm -hmm. Massacre. Um, Of course, you have like the the mallet death, Mm -hmm. which I think mirrors the sledgehammer death in Texas Chainsaw quite literally people being yeah. hung on hooks it, it was just, it was just very like chainsaw-esque to me which i feel like was like a quite a different reading and like whereas like chainsaw was a reading on like hippies mm-hmm. at the time like a commentary on that i feel like this one is kind of like a reading on millennials at the time like i mean will porter walks around and bakes mm-hmm. the entire time <laughs> um so it's it's interesting that I feel like for just a sophomore movie at that, um, you could get so many readings and different ideas from this movie. Um, I don't think there is a correct reading of this movie. I think it's all like what Katie said about Wicker Man. It's all what mm-hmm. you take away from it, personally. Yeah. Uh, 
which I feel like is 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 quite the feat for like especially for like I know it's unpopular opinion, but like it that's like quite a feat for modern horror to like get it recognized by the mainstream right? so much. I mean I mean we all like to talk about how like oh the Academy didn't recognize this movie at all, but like Janelle Monet like referenced it like in her opener yeah, at yeah. the Oscars. It was a popular film. Like that mm-hmm. that's insane. Like the Academy were the ones yeah, who bought the May yeah. Queen dress. Oh, I didn't realize museum. that. Wow. Yeah, I remember uh, A24 put it up for forbidding and the Academy wow. bought it for the museum. I was like, oh, I won. It's, my, it's mine. Like, it's the people's dress now. And people were like, you really bought it? I was like, no, but like, you know, it's it's mine because I get it's the people's dress. We get to go see it now. You're like, <laughs> <"Visit> it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's crazy because I think they said like Ariana Grande yeah. was also like bidding on it. And I'm like, well. I'm glad somebody bought it that it could be like displayed like in a public I know public I was so capacity. happy. I was like I can't live the rest of my life knowing it's just in someone's house and just sitting there. I need I need to see this dress in real life. <laughs> but but also like brings up concerns that like the academy like won't nominate this or recognize this like in really any capacity but then buy yeah. that for the museum. I mean I don't know. it's just such an insane movie, I think. Um and yeah <laughs> that's all i have to say it's just such an insane movie i, I don't think it had a chance just because of how there's just so many insane things i will huh? well oh no i i don't know ahead. i just i've like once you kind of like figure out how the sausage is made with the oscars and the academy it's like i don't know i don't really i don't look to them to like validate i'm just like ugh, awards are award- like it's actually like it's a pretty small group of people and it's kind of a popularity contest and it's kind of a, did you earn this yet contest mm-hmm. in the sense of like, are you old enough? Are you established enough? And so like the way the nominations work is like the directors nominate the directors and the cinematographers nominate the cinematographers and et cetera, et cetera. And then everyone votes on the nominees, but like, I've found just interacting with Academy committees, like it's very like, is it your turn? Have you paid your dues? And like, especially like the cinematographers, I feel like get, I mean, I don't want to comment on like the interworkings of cinematographer guilds, but (laughs) it seems a little clubby is what I'll say. Yeah. Um, That makes sense. Yeah. which, which I mean, I, w- I was the same way. I'm like, eh, awards don't validate everything. But then Parasite sweeps Oscars. And I'm like, oh, wait, hold <laughs> up. Like, no, awards don't mean anything. And then, you know, the thing that you love gets rewarded. And you're like, wait a second. <laughs> wait a minute. We won these but awards. Like, it, also, it also is weirdly like this, like this, uh, like, what's the marketing? Like, how many events did they go to? Like, um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I could go off on the on the awards uh, season Which, stuff, but like, you know, it's like, did the did the heat like hit at the right time? Are they like peaking at the right moment? You know, was there any backlash? And it's like, Parasite just had like such a perfect run, and like, yeah, director Bong was so mm-hmm. beloved. I think that people, and I, I also think the Academy try, likes to be like, they try to tell a story about themselves. So like it, you know, when Oscar so white happened, they're like, Oh, actually, no, we're going to like nominate or give awards to like people of color and, and 
they, they try to like, it's all, it's all about their own reputation. So I think mm-hmm. the fact that a Korean film had never been nominated for a best supporting or for best foreign language film, like they're like, Oh, we have to fix this. And, and this is the time to like show that we're hip and inclusive and, but it happened to be the best film of the year. So that worked out for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that was kind of my thinking the tangent on parasite. I, I had like walked down and I was like, Oh damn. I was like, that was like, the really best movie was. Of the year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Midsommar, I mean, um, I don't know. I, I also think that there, it, it's excellent top to bottom. I mean, I, I would have loved to see Florence get nominated and, and, uh, Pavel Pavlikovsky, who's the uh, cinematographer, because that cinematography was like so incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's insane. I paused it for one it second last night. I didn't watch it all the way. I was just watching it in passing since I watch it like every month. Mm-hmm. It's one of my comfort films. Um, but I paused it for some reason, and it was just like some random shot. It was it was her sitting in the carriage, and she was looking back, and I was I was like I could screenshot this shot right now, and it's just the perfect shot and it, it was just a random pause right Ugh. um i think one thing i like about oh, he did he did travel the cinematography. Oh, yeah sorry i'm like looking up well, what he I, did. I like i think that ari astor as a director i love the way he uses the camera and mm-hmm. um obviously the cinematographer the way he works with his cinematographer but I think, you know, there's not a lot of directors that build sequences the way that I feel like he builds sequences in both Hereditary and Midsommar and like where something's happening in the background. Um, that happens so much in Midsommar where mm-hmm. I was like laughing rewatching it where um, Christian gives Danny the birthday cake and it's this really awkward moment where he's clearly forgotten her birthday and, and he is trying to light the candle and it's not working. And then it just, in the background, there's like these women like swaying and holding a baby and you know, like what's happening? <laughs> and it just sort of like highlights the absurdity, both of like where they are and also like what's going on between them and, and how this like relationship issue, which is ongoing is also just like kind of dwarfed by like the stuff that's happening around them. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that not a lot mm-hmm. of directors shoot like that anymore. I think they like shoot for coverage, which is like they are like, okay, let's get an angle of this and this and this and this. And then they just edit it together. And I think Ari Aster actually is like, no, I want to like craft the way the camera is going to move and how it's going to tell the story and what's happening in the background. And I just like appreciate that so much um, in his filmmaking. Yeah. Yeah, they have a uh, they have that hidden like image of uh, Danny's yeah. sister. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, I remember when somebody pointed that out. I was like, "Oh God, yeah, that's frightening!" I, like, I well, the first time I ever realized that movies were something more than what I thought they were was when I watched Moonrise Kingdom in theaters, and I was like, I think eleven or twelve, um, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, people actually think of." how to make a movie um my 12 year old thoughts I don't know <laughs> and so style stylization has been one of my favorite like things I look for in movies um and so when Ari Aster came into the scene I was like yes this is exactly this is my cup of tea you know mm-hmm. um just everything about it is just so it's just an Ari Aster film um and like the upside down shots and all of that and how I, like symbolization for 
them, you know, literally like going into their upside down world. Yeah. Oh, and wait, if we're going to talk about shots, we got to talk about the bathroom scene. Yeah, that's an amazing one. Oh, amazing. But yeah. That 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 scene terrified me in the script. Um, I, I don't know what draft I had. I think I had one of the more final drafts. Um, in the original script, uh, Danny is more oh. suicidal. So, and like, he, it kind of does like voiceover where you like get into her head, like, oh, here's what this character is feeling. And it was just like, kind of like, just like, yeah. kind of triggering for me as I was reading it. I was like, oh, this is intense. Um, also, Danny is a brunette in the script. Interesting. Just I out there. That, or, or if it was just because that was what, Florence's hair looked like I I think that's what it was because um I didn't know until I saw this movie that she's naturally a blonde yeah I don't I feel like her hair color is um, like different in every movie I've seen her in so I don't even know what it's <laughs> yeah so so her hair color in this is is oh, I believe okay, her natural okay. hair color but- so um I assume they probably just altered it mm-hmm. when she got cast I have a question for you guys because this is Um, something I was thinking about a lot, um, you know, on my rewatch. But, you know, they use costume a lot to, like, set the characters apart. Like, um, I love the shots where it's sort of like after she becomes the May Queen and then Christian is on the outside and he's wearing the blue shirt and everyone's in white. And you you Mm -hmm. constantly see him being, like, framed, like, Mm -hmm. alone in these, like, big extra long shots or, like, him at the table wearing the blue shirt and like everyone else in white and it really like makes him stand out as like an outsider um but why do you think Danny is dressed so frumpily in this movie like he's always wearing like these like baggy shirts and weird shorts and I'm like this is so weird like maybe it's just, like, they're like this is what she would wear on vacation like comfy clothes but it's like you have Florence Pugh and like she. She's just got like a messy bun and like a old pair of pants on. And you're like, what is going on here? <laughs> like... So, so two, two things. And I can uh-huh. only speak from my experience. One, I find Florence Pugh very attractive and I feel That's like I would have been distracted otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> um, and two, um, I feel that's to just kind of convey like her yeah. coping with loss and tragedy in her life. Cause I know when I've experienced tragedy and loss, I just don't care about my physical appearance. Mm-hmm. Like, it adds to all. her like emotional state of just being like completely distracted by like what's going on around her and, and not really caring about, you know, what she's wearing or anything like that. I also think they just captured mm-hmm. the, yeah teens going camping vibe so well the costumes are so simple Mm -hmm. but they look so they look so good in relation to what's happening on screen and you know and who they are and what they're doing of just like I remember watching the trailer and being like yeah that's like a teens going camping movie um with them in these these costumes but I yeah so as someone who's gone to Coachella more than five times, Coachella is exactly <laughs> like this. Oh my uh, magic mushroom tea. <laughs> oh, uh, worse, worse. 
I mean, there's been there's been full disclosure. There's been stuff I've taken at Coachella that I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what this wait, is. Wait, the tripping scene is so good. Like sometimes they they do drug scenes in movies, and I'm like, that is not how people act on drugs. Yeah, sorry to say, sorry that I know that, but so the. So, so the way that things move around, I was like, "Oh, this movie's actually conveying the proper mm-hmm. feeling of being." And when, when Will Poulter's like, "Everybody oh. lay down!" Oh my gosh, why are you guys not laying down? Someone lay down with me! I'm like, "Oh my god, I've I've literally I've been there." Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I also think like this movie is genuinely funny and intentionally funny. Like, I think Will uh-huh. Poulter is really funny in this, but I also. <laughs> The sex scene never fails. <laughs> I laugh every time during that sex scene. Oh my god! Where, where oh she puts god. the hands on him, and then even just like when the girl like reaches up and grabs her mother. I think it's her mother's hand. She grabs a woman's hand, and the woman starts singing to her. <laughs> uh, Jack Rayner is just like what? <laughs> like Faith's performance in that is so good because he's and just I, like flabbergasted. <laughs> and I, and I think that's part of the reason why this movie works so well is that all the actors are like totally in on it. Like mm-hmm. everybody gives their all. Like they they read the yeah. script and they were all like, yes, I think that's a testament to Ari Aster too. He just brings out the best performances out of all his actors. I don't, I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know how he does it because he, like the Tony Collette performance and the Alex Wolf performance and hereditary are like jaw dropping. Yeah. And Alex Wolf is such, I mean, he's still such a young actor too. So to get that kind of performance from him. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's hard to believe that this movie was just initially conceived as just like this like you're just average slasher movie just with the Swedish setting um yeah so so if I remember reading correctly this movie was initially pitched as um just a straightforward slasher set among Swedish cultists cultists but uh he fleshed it out and it's something else entirely as he was going through his um pretty pretty wow i mean it's such a movie about grief and toxic relationships as we've talked about and um but also like just the way it creates dread is it's such an unsettling Mm -hmm. film um i don't know like i just at the whole time i'm just like i don't feel like i i feel weird (laughs) (laughs) but then you're scared and then something weird you know it's just it's it's such a great control of tone Mm -hmm. the gore is so good too i i i'm a big fan of pretty gore (laughs) and ari aster does the best pretty gore that i'm just like that's kind of that's gross but it's kind of beautiful yeah i had forgotten Uh, how gory it was yeah Oh yeah, yeah the, close good, scene. the scene where they they find where um Christian finds um Simon's body. Oh yeah, oh, that reminds me of oh, Hannibal. Yes, I was like, this is so Hannibal right now, the TV show. Yeah, 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 yeah. I also really like the William oh. Jackson Harper so. character. Sorry, I could just go on and on about this. <laughs> oh no, 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 you, no! Please do. <laughs> yeah, do you ever did I? Sometimes I'm like. 
has he seen The Good Place? Because Josh is just cheaty. I'm just like, that's just cheaty. I just call him cheaty. I didn't know his name was Josh. I just call him cheaty part two. That's so funny. Um, <laughs> maybe he has, and he was just like, just do your thing, man. <laughs> so so that character, I initially thought was like a good guy and everything. And then I saw the director's cut. I'm like, oh, he's Wait, just as shitty as Christian. What, ha- what does he do in the director's cut? So they 100% flesh out the whole thesis uh, su- subplot in that movie. And William Jackson Harper gets a lot more screen time. And pretty much he is just like, uh, you know where he goes yeah. to like take photos of the book and all that? He's he's very invasive on the community. I and see. you see more examples of that. I just think that. it's so interesting to have... That's just what... I just think it's so interesting to have this character as like the anthropologist... Um, and especially to have it be a, a man of color and then him sort of going and looking at like a white group of people because that's kind of a flip of the like uh, anthropologist or the ethnographer of, of the past. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so I just like, I just think he's so interesting. And yeah, you do think he's a good guy and then you're like, oh wait, no, he's, he's I don't know. I love that that petty drama between them about the It's <laughs> like... When you watch it the second time, you're like, this is so, like, Pele is just like, yeah, sure, do your thesis, like, knowing full well that they're gonna, like, do whatever they're gonna do to them. Kill them. Oh my gosh. So, so that character also in the car right there brings up that a lot of the pagan cultists have, like, roots Mm. in, like, Nazism. And that provided a whole different reading to me when I saw the director's cut. Because every person true, of color true. dies in this movie. Which I was like, the director's cut is like a whole nother can of worms. I won't I won't dive in too much. Yeah, I, would I need just to say, see it. Just I couldn't find it, it streaming it anywhere. Can. It used to be on Apple, but not, not longer. It's not on Apple anymore? Yeah, I think. No, they took it off when A24 started oh, selling the Blu-rays on their site. I hate capitalism. This director's cut should be available to everybody. It's not. I mean, it's the best. It's so good. I I was lucky enough Me to see too. it in the theater when they re-released okay. it. That was a time. Yeah. And, and then I was like, wait a minute. It's like over <laughs> three hours now? The, okay. the movie, ex- movie theater experiences where I had gotten the most voluntary, vol- vol- voluntary reactions from the audience where I heard the, like, there was just so many, like, oh my God, he really said that. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Yeah, see, no, uh, it, it can't. The director's cut came out when I was still working at AMC, so I would just <laughs> no. Watch it, it was after fun. Shit. It was fun in theaters. Like people were just, it was, it was just like, all like audible disgust of what these people, like what Christian was saying or what these people were doing. It, it was, it was fun. <laughs> it's um, a good time. So when I saw this movie for the first time, there was a woman sitting in front of me. I was in a screening room, but it was like pretty uh, full. Anytime this woman, anytime mm-hmm. anything even forebode, any hinting at for at foreshadowing or anything going, this woman would go, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Like, Taylor <laughs> would go, um, you should come to Sweden. And he'd go, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Where, you know, like, like Pele would say like, um, oh, I, like the something, the May Queen, blah, blah, blah. Well, I'm so glad you're here. Oh, okay. Like she was saying it in this like, like she was kind of being sarcastic about it. But I was like, oh my God, this woman's driving me insane. <laughs> oh my God. But I still oh. like ended up like walking out just being like, okay, Ari Aster just melted my brain for a second time. <laughs> and I loved it anyway. But like, I will never forget this woman just being like, oh, okay. Oh, oh my god. <laughs> oh, time. Uh, so so any any final words on midsummer? I know we could all like sit here and talk for like an um, hour I think about it's really it. It's interesting to like uh, you know the way it fits into the folk horror canon and like the little references that it makes to to Wicker Man, even like the the photos of the May Queens and, mm-hmm. and stuff. So I just I love that it's sort of like its own thing, but it's also like specifically referencing these other films. Um, and I think there should be more folk horror movies. Yeah. Yes. There should be. There should be, uh, without a doubt. Like I know Hammer is still a production company. You're on it. Please get on it. Make <laughs> British folk horror. <laughs> Okay, so maybe... oh, oh, okay. okay. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, before we get out of here every week, I ask our guests a question up until that question gets answered, at which point I will have to come up with a new question to ask mm-hmm. our guests. But, Katie, who who would you like to see cast as the lead in Karin Kasama's upcoming All adaptation right. well, of Dracula? I, I was trying to think of an answer to this question and I kept thinking of people who had already played Dracula. <laughs> I was like, oh, Clay's bang. Oh, okay. But he was in some <laughs> series playing Dracula. But I'm going to choose Luca Marinelli, who is in the film Martin He's also in The Ooh. Old Guard. He is an Italian actor, and Martin mm-hmm. Eden is one of my favorite films of the year. And Luca is just very sexy and very great actor. And I feel like he could pull off like a sexy Dracula. Hell yeah! I actually really <laughs> love that answer. I I I I love the answers that are just kind of like off the wall. Um, <laughs> Through my favorite like, films, and I was I like, know it's "Who gave one of my favorite performances this year?" <laughs> yeah, we've had some wild answers to this question. Um, I've actually been keeping like a list of answers to oh. find out who called it, like when it does finally get announced. Right? Because I know oh one God. of us. I hope has you release right? the list. <laughs> oh, I, I I will. The moment like it gets like announced i'm like okay yes. this person called it yes. on this date <laughs> um my my answer was oh, uh keith stanfield so so uh going off of your answer katie um do you want the new dracula to be like a period piece or do you want it to be like mm, a modern i have update? to say period piece i just really like mm. old-timey dracula mm-hmm. <laughs> i felt that yeah well, I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, same. I'm thinking of like the, the the Bram Stoker's Dracula, and just like I just want like velvet capes and crazy stuff going on. Yeah, definitely. I'm I'm so excited for her to be adapting Dracula. That seems like a I know I'm in heaven kind of. 
so before we get out of here, Katie, is there anywhere people can find you? You got anything you're working um, on? You I'm just promote? plugging along on my weekly reviews um, for Tribune and LA Times. And I link all my reviews on my Twitter account, which is at Katie Walsh STX. And um, I'm also, I also put them all on Rotten Tomatoes. So if you ever want to see whatever I'm reading or writing about or podcasting about i will tweet about it so follow me there um and that's that's it i think also be sure to listen to switchblade sisters because it is a fantastic podcast it's actually where i first encountered your work yes i'm dedicated listener (laughs) um kayla anywhere People can find you. You got anything um, you're working I'm on? At going Kayla, forward? K-A-I-L-A underscore Ren on Twitter. Um, I'm hoping to get started writing again soon. I don't know. I'm starting school again next semester for my bachelor's for film studies. So yay. Awesome. <laughs> Perfect. And as always, you can find me at JFC Doomblade. I got more work coming out very soon for Bloody Disgusting. And next week, we got a very exciting episode that we've been working kind of a long time on. So I'm excited to share that with you. You can follow us at Horror in Session. And as always, you can listen to us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And be sure to leave a rating and review.